welcome to People, Places, Planet Pod, the official podcast of the Environmental Law Institute, a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization working to ensure a healthy environment, prosperous economies, and vibrant communities founded on the rule of law. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the People, Places, Planet Podcast. My name is Margaret Batting, and I'm a research associate here at the Environmental Law Institute. The month of May is American Wetlands Month, a time to recognize and celebrate the vital ecological, social, and economic importance of wetlands. Wetlands provide valuable ecosystem services, including critical habitat for plants, fish, and wildlife, highly effective carbon sequestering systems, flood control, and the ability to maintain and improve water quality. Since 1989, ELI has honored over 200 champions of wetlands protection through the National Wetlands Awards program, which recognizes individuals who have demonstrated exceptional effort, innovation, and excellence in protecting these critical ecosystems. This year, for the 2022 National Wetlands Awards, five awardees were chosen. Dr. John R. White for scientific research, Dr. Jessica Hua for promoting awareness, Zach Perry for local stewardship, Mick McCashon for wetlands program development, and Dr. Mark Laska for business leadership. The awardees will be honored at the 2022 National Wetlands Award Ceremony, taking place tomorrow, May 19th, at the National Academy of Sciences. In addition to the ceremony, we're conducting a digital recognition campaign, including blog posts for our awardees, social media posts, and this podcast to recognize our awardees and their work. For more information on the National Wetlands Awards and our current and past awardees, check out our website at www.eli.org slash National Wetlands Awards. During this podcast episode, our five awardees will share their perspectives and insights on a wide variety of wetlands-related matters. To start off, we'll have each of our awardees introduce themselves. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is John White, and I'm a professor in the Oceanography and Coastal Sciences Department at Louisiana State University. I also serve as the Associate Dean for Research for the College of the Coast and Environment. I have been at LSU for over 18 years now, researching coastal wetland systems primarily. I worked previously at the University of Florida for five years, where I conducted some research in the Florida Everglades. My research is really focused around wetland and aquatic biogeochemistry. And what that means is I look at the cycling of nutrients and contaminants that go between the soil, the water, the plants, and other organisms. Hello, my name is Jessica Hua. I am currently an associate professor, and I also serve as the director of the Center for Integrated Watershed Studies at Binghamton University. I have been at Binghamton University for seven years where I run a disease ecology and ecotoxicology lab in the biology department, and we'll be transitioning to the University of Wisconsin-Madison this summer, where we will continue to be doing the work that we started at Binghamton. Hello, I'm Zach Perry. Uh, thanks for having me. I live in Portland, Oregon, uh, born and raised. I've been an employee at Reed College for uh, 23 years, and I've been fortunate to uh, help um, implement and oversee a restoration project of the headwater forest. Uh, the cleanest water in the city of Portland bubbles up on our campus. And uh, I have formal education in uh, horticulture and botany from Oregon State University. Hi, I'm Mick Mikashan, a wetland ecologist. I've worked for Ohio Environmental Protection Agency, um, where I was involved in developing Ohio's wetland program. Also worked at the Midwest Biodiversity Institute, where I worked on the National Wetland Condition Assessment and the Nature Conservancies in Luffy Wetland Mitigation Program. I am Vice President of the Ohio Wetlands Association, and I'm very happy 
to have been selected for this award, as I'm representing not just my own work, but also the great work of all my colleagues. Hi, this is Mark Laska. I'm joining you from San Diego, California, and I'm an ecologist, and I'm the founder of Great Ecology, which is an ecological design and consulting firm that I established in 2001 in New York City. Over the past 20 years, we've worked on more than a thousand projects with dozens and dozens of staff in every time zone of North America, focusing on habitat restoration, bringing back to life degraded wetlands in urban and rural areas for a variety of reasons. Congratulations to you all on winning a National Wetlands Awards. Thank you all very much for joining us here today on this episode. To kick things off, we'll have our awardees each give a snapshot of their wetlands work. This is John White. My research is broadly looking at the physical and chemical processes that transfer the nutrients and contaminants between the, both the living and the non-living components of the biosphere. Uh, much of my research has really been focused on microbial transformations of carbon, nitrogen, and phosphorus. Uh, right now, our research group has been conducting some research to help support the state of Louisiana's $50 billion 30-year coastal restoration program. Some current NSF or National Science Foundation funded work has involved looking at the storage of carbon in our coastal wetland soils, uh, the vulnerability of that organic matter to erosion, as well as the impact of sea level on these coastal systems. We have also looked at how direct strike hurricanes um, have affected these systems differently than the storms that are further away, but still give us a significant wind field and therefore can still cause erosion. Louisiana has about 40% of all the coastal wetlands in the contiguous United States, but we experience 80% of the coastal wetland loss. And so that really is being driven by um, sea level rise, subsidence, and a lot of anthropogenic changes that have happened in the coastal areas. Another area of research is focused on the function of water quality improvement that wetlands provide for us. And for that, we really look at stressors like sea level rise, changing salinity, as well as nutrient loading impact on the wetlands ability to really remove those nutrients and contaminants and clean up the water. I've had the pleasure of supervising over 35 graduate students so far in my career. And this award really represents their efforts as much as my own. And it is extremely rewarding to see the, how they have gone on and prospered in their careers. This is Jess Hua. At BU, we have two arms of our research program. The first arm focuses on our research on how global change, specifically pollutants like road salts, microplastics, pesticides, and light pollution influence wetlands and importantly, amphibian conservation. So a broad question that we ask in our lab is, why are some communities more susceptible to disease than others? More specifically, we ask questions like, how do pollutants affect amphibian susceptibility to disease? Or more recently, we're asking questions like, when does biodiversity protect communities, more specifically amphibian communities from disease? 
In addition to this research arm, we also have an arm on research how to make science more accessible to broader audiences. And we do this through art and community science initiatives. So we use non-traditional tools such as graphic novels, children's books to improve perception of science and understanding of scientific content. For us, this is important because one of the challenges of our wetland ecology research is that much of our work is done in highly controlled laboratory settings. This is a limitation because it's a lot more complex in nature. So there's a need to ask these broad questions out in the field. This is usually a huge undertaking that requires a ton of personnel. And so another approach might be to work with community members to help collect data. This allows us to reach broader audiences, broader areas than we would otherwise be able to. Um, but the critical aspect of this is it ensures uh, that we, we can collect data that is realistic. The challenge, however, when it comes to community science is that we have to make sure that the data collected are of high quality and collected in a consistent way. And so this is where our non-traditional tools come into play. We've developed a three-step process where first we generate content through an interdisciplinary group of artists, engineers, ecologists. Uh, this group has worked together to put together products like children's books, mobile apps, graphic novels that are then paired with a lesson plan. This lesson plan and content will then be used to train third graders. So this is usually our target across multiple school districts on, on how to use the material. The teachers then turn this material around to then teach their students. The students are then bused to a local museum where they get the chance to interact with hands-on activities to learn more about the topic. Most recently, we're teaching them about biodiversity and how it can protect communities from disease. And all in all, the goal of all of this process is to integrate third graders into the scientific process by teaching them to help us collect biodiversity data that will then contribute to publications. So again, uh, in, in my lab at Binghamton University, there are two arms. The research arm, understanding how pollutants and global change influences wetland ecosystems, and then the science communication arm, and the research feeds into the science education, whereas the science education and communication feeds back into the, the research. So those, uh, that is a snapshot of our lab at Binghamton University. So again, this is Zach Perry. Uh, most of my formal wetlands work has been associated uh, with my time at Reed College. I was fortunate uh, to be asked back in 1999 to help write a restoration strategy for the college and help identify basically the kind of the state of the, of the canyon at that time, um, a cost association with repairing it, and uh, and uh, basically design a uh, approach strategy to the rehabilitation of this 28-acre headwater forest that's centered in the middle of our property. For the first five years of uh, this uh, the restoration, uh, it basically functioned separately from the college's academics, and wasn't uh, until 2005 um, that it gained interest from the faculty and the and our student population. Uh, where they started to see potential for studying uh, the restoration process and, and better understanding the effects of change. Um, there was faculty on my team that um, would argue that English ivy was good habitat for salamanders. And those were some of the, um, the difficulties of getting a project like this off the ground. 
that there was a lot of different opinions of how this area could function and, and what species it should su support. Um, and uh, the restoration strategy helped narrow our focus to a, a rehabilitation restoration um, versus a, a, a primary recreation recreation um, uh, project. This uh, canyon restoration has now supported over 70 theses, and the partnership uh, has extended outside of our college to other nearby high schools and colleges. Uh, it's allowed me to um, collect that data and adapt my management practices based on the newest information that uh, we're able to collect. Um, this partnership uh, and the restoration has uh, resulted in a rich and diverse urban headwater forest in the city of Portland, which supports a diverse plant and animal population. And as we protect these springs that bubble up on our property, it forms the last free-flowing stream in the city of Portland, which supports uh, migratory species, including threatened and, and endangered salmon uh, on our campus. Mick Nickishan. My work is focused on a number of important aspects of wetland science including the development and use of wetland assessment tools that accurately measure and interpret the intactness and quality of wetlands based on their habitats, flora, and fauna. Ohio EPA uh, has, an, has an integrated wetland assessment program. That means the rules, which are the wetland water quality standards, and the monitoring and assessment methods, including the Ohio Rapid Assessment Method for Wetlands, the Vegetation Index of Biotic Integrity, the Amphibian Index of Biotic, Biotic Integrity, and others support each other and can accurately place all Ohio wetlands into one of three categories. Category 1 wetlands are of poor quality based on the rules. Category 2 of fair to good quality and Category 3 of excellent quality. The standards provide additional protection to all Ohio wetlands, but especially those of higher quality. However, all applicants are required to show that they have searched uh, for, but not found another site where their project could be conducted without impacting wetlands. The applicants also are responsible for replacing any wetland they impact with a wetland of the same type of equal or higher quality. To achieve this, they must develop an approved plan, uh, an approved plan conduct regular monitoring and demonstrate that the new wetlands meet or exceed the specific performance standards assigned to the permit. This is Mark Laska and uh, for 20 years I have been an ecological practitioner focused on applied ecology. My illustrative colleagues uh, who are co-awardees have just described a variety of research and regulatory uh, focus of theirs. And what we do in our practice is take those academic, scientific, research, and regulatory experiences and bring them into specific projects. And so our projects have been large and small, and we have always tried to bring ecology into the forefront of design and planning and to try originally to bring back life to urban wetlands but then over time the practice has evolved so what that means in, in actuality is that our clients who we work for 
can be located all over the country. And we have worked in about 35 different states, including every state that our, my co-awardees are from. And uh, we end up working on, I would say, three different types, three different categories of projects. One is a habitat restoration project for public benefit, usually conducted by some uh, municipal government, occasionally a state or the federal government. Another is when there's a planned impact, as we just learned, those have to be offset or mitigated so that there's no net loss of wetlands. And so we get involved in trying to avoid and minimize, and then if we can't, we mitigate for impacts to wetlands by designing and creating new wetlands somewhere else. And then the third category of projects we have are what I would call some form of an environmental disaster, where there was something that was unplanned that occurred. That could be an oil spill, and we worked on uh, the Gulf Coast uh, large oil spill, the Deepwater Horizon disaster. Uh, it could be con chemical contamination, or even uh, changes to habitats as a result of wildfire or other natural occurrences. And so we, uh, we enter a project at multiple levels. We might be involved in planning or design or regulatory or the monitoring or the maintenance and the reporting of a project. So our projects can have very, very long life cycles as we just heard about the project up in Oregon, which has been going on for 20 years, most of our projects have at least a 10-year cycle. So it's a very, very exciting practice that we have getting to work on so many different projects in so many different locations and trying to bring that higher ecological thinking into a business setting. And like my colleagues, I just wanna say that this could not have possibly happened without my past and current staff, dozens and dozens of people over the years have worked and contributed to helping make this vision a reality. As you can see, our awardees are extraordinary champions of wetlands. Next, we'll hear each awardee's unique story about their introduction to wetlands and why these habitats have inspired them to dedicate years to their protection. I think my love of the natural environment really started when I was young, growing up in Shrewsbury, Massachusetts, and I was always outside exploring the swamps that are at, at the end of our street. And it really didn't matter the season, my siblings, my friends, we would all go exploring for hours on end down in those swamps. And during the summertime, our family was fortunate to go on vacation at Cape Cod, and I would be out all day long combing the beaches and the coastal marshes for all sorts of treasures and dragging them back home. And I really think that got me directed wanting to, to work um, in these systems and really care about them. Uh, the first system I did research on were some mangrove swamps in the east central Florida coastline. And I was really intrigued at how active these carbon rich soils were. And I have a class where I give the students an assignment this is after my own life experience, and I asked them to go out and ask their friends, their family, their neighbors, to define what a wetland is. And most people, when describing wetlands, they will talk about the specialized plants and the exotic animals that are in those systems. They'll notice the water, and they always talk about the mosquitoes, for example. But in the end, the exciting stuff, at least for me, happens in the mud. 
So just as much as I was playing in the mud as a small child, I get to tromp around in the mud even today. Um, and I think my, my love of teaching really comes from my mom, who was an elementary school teacher for many years. And seeing how much the students really appreciated her efforts in helping them succeed, I think really pushed me towards a career in academia where I can teach and also conduct this interesting and important research to help manage these vital systems. Hi, this is Jess again. I think that my love for what I do now maybe have sparked from a, a non-traditional way. I, uh, as an undergraduate, I went to a small liberal college, liberal arts college, and I chose this school because I wanted to continue my athletic career. So I was a basketball player, and when it came down to deciding on what the next steps were for me, it wasn't much the academics that, that drew me, but it uh, was the fact that this was a university that would allow me to pursue my basketball career. And so when I got to the university, I, I uh, chose to pursue a degree in biology because I uh, was encouraged by my family to pursue uh, a medical career. A little bit of background about me, I come from a refugee family. And so the fact that I am currently in ecology was an interesting choice because environmental issues, the outdoors, the, the love of the outdoors that, that John, my, my colleague, just mentioned, that, that was nothing that I had the opportunity to pursue early on. Um, from my background, from my family, mostly we, we rarely went outside, we rarely uh, camped, we rarely had experiences in the outdoors and it wasn't until my junior year where I pursued a research opportunity and this research opportunity came about because I needed to have some experience in research for my medical school application um, and so by the time I got around to applying there were only two positions left and one of which happened to be a project working on uh, pollutants on amphibians. And so I uh, joined this lab and um, it, it was an interesting choice because I, at the time, was still afraid of amphibians. So I had never touched an amphibian, which ironically is what I do now. Um, but this experience completely changed my perspective through the process of engaging in research and through the mentorship of my professor, I learned to appreciate the outdoors, appreciate the, the consequences of human activities on wetlands and the organisms within. And that very next semester I came back, changed my, my trajectory and um, took the first ecology class I ever had in as a senior and um, from there, graduated and went to Pitt to pursue a degree in ecology and evolution. Um, and, and that uh, cemented my, my decision to pursue this field. So a non-traditional start, but I'm so, so grateful for the mentorship uh, and the opportunity. Um, I learned to really appreciate wetlands by actively engaging in the research. And this is one of the reasons that community science initiatives are so important in my own lab. It was what sparked my interest and I hope to give back and my students and I hope to uh, spark that passion um, 
in, in our local communities. Hello, this is Zach again. Um, I guess I'm um, one of those kids that kind of uh, was able to just keep uh, to grow up and keep playing in the mud. And uh, um, that's really, I started also very similar to maybe some of our other uh, panelists that uh, my parents were in education and left me to go explore um, the worms and other critters that were uh, crawling around. I grew up also, my parents owned and operated a uh, plant shop and an herb shop. Uh, in the city. Um, I'm, I'm a, a suburban kid, uh, and so uh, I was able to uh, have uh, access to a lot of like green spaces, particularly in the Oregon area, uh, that were fairly accessible. And a lot of my passion um, in what I do now is to kind of give back um, and support um, the, the, the children and try to give opportunities that I had maybe to encourage more people to get involved. But I was able to, uh, I kind of went in as a general science major into uh, uh, schooling after high school and fell in love with botany and horticulture and, and was uh, at odd, you know, just in awe of, of the ideas of cellular biology and, um, and then uh, did my thesis work with the USDA uh, doing plant breeding and of all things breeding blackberries. Um, and all of these things kind of led me down a path uh, for where I'm at today, where I was um, moved back to the Portland area after uh, school, um, happened to um, connect with Reed College who had a, a BlackBerry problem and they didn't know really how to start and what it would cost. And I had just kind of, as most of us are out of school, knew a lot and, and didn't have much experience, but Reed trusted me with, um, with that uh, information and asked me to implement a $1 million uh, restoration of this forest that was pretty much overtaken um, by ivy and blackberries and wild clematis and um, organized teams of students, um, both within Reed and outside our community working with young kids. Um, and given the opportunities that I either wish I had or, or some of the experiences, shared the experiences that I was able to um, kind of draw back from, from my childhood. And, um, you know, the, the wetlands, as we get to play, I live in, fortunately in a part of this country that is um, seeing ex excessive amount of rainfall right now. Um, but it also means that uh, the wetlands are, are all amongst us and, and uh, we have to learn how to um, use this resource um, wisely. And, and uh, I'm able to share this kind of this process with the students that I work with. Um, the wetlands is the lifeblood of our, of our of this campus and my community. And, and I'm really just honored to be um, working where I grew up and familiar and working with the plants and the animals that I admired so much as a kid and um, and kind of being in a position to share those experiences with others and and try to get more people to um, qualify for uh, such an amazing award as this in the future and uh, inspire young kids to do similar work. McMickishan. I've always found working in vernal pools to be interesting and rewarding. These seasonal wetlands that generally dry down in late spring, early summer, are the breeding homes to salamanders and frogs and are fun places to visit in the spring to early summer. The calls of the frogs are loud and can direct you to the vernal pools from a long distance. This eliminates the protective cover of the salamanders in the vernal pools who, are also, who also breed there yet are silent. I've studied hundreds of vernal pools in Ohio over the years, 
and learn much about their amphibian habitats and inhabitants. Uh, these include adult and larval frogs and salamanders of many different species. Spring peepers, western chorus frogs, mountain chorus frogs, northern leopard frogs, pickerel frogs, gray tree frogs, copse gray tree frogs, wood frogs, spotted salamanders, smallmouth salamanders, Jefferson salamanders, marbled salamanders, eastern tiger salamanders, blue spotted salamanders, unisexual salamanders, red spotted newts, and four toed salamanders. Studying this group closely allowed me to develop the amphibian index of biotic integrity. It is a monitoring and assessment method with five metrics that provides data on the quality of the vernal pool the amphibians are utilizing. The data is based on the number of adults in a larva of each species presence and the traps placed in the vernal pools overnight three times throughout the breeding season. Hi, this is Mark Laska. I grew up in the suburbs of New York, up in Westchester County, right on Long Island Sound, and grew up on boats. And I remember clearly the marshes and the expanse of open space. And I also remember as I was growing up, watching areas that used to be open space slowly fill in with houses. I went to school at the University of Colorado in Boulder for my undergraduate degree. And I saw the same thing occurring with urban sprawl on the front range of Colorado, how when I first came to campus, you could drive through fields and fields before you got to Denver from Boulder. But then over time, those fields were filling in with all sorts of development. I went to graduate school at Rutgers in New Jersey, and in 1990, there were two major oil spills. One was in New Jersey, just down the road from me, near the Meadowlands in the Arthur Kill, which is the body of water that separates New Jersey from New York on Staten Island. And the other was the Exxon Valdez in Alaska. And those two oil spills occurred within a few months of each other. Of course, the Valdez was huge, and got tremendous press. But being in grad school in, in New Jersey, the local spill uh, was, uh, was a lot of, there was a lot of awareness around that. And that's when I started to understand the importance of how fragile wetlands could be when they could be so dramatically damaged or so readily filled in for houses or shopping malls. So, uh, Rutgers was an exciting place in the early 90s because a field was developing called ecological restoration. Now, there were some restoration projects happening here and there back then, but it was coalescing into an actual science that eventually had a journal and research and published papers. And it was a very, very exciting time to be in grad school. And I was swept up in the uh, the enthusiasm around bringing degraded and poorly functioning habitats back to some semblance of ecological functionality, and particularly in urban areas. Although eventually we started finding that wetlands in all sorts of places, whether urban, suburban, rural, isolated, 
they're all impacted by ecological or environmental disasters or just urbanization. We can't get away from it. And so this led me to the idea of uh, and ultimately creating Great Ecology, uh, which, which did have the mission of restoring urban habitats, especially those in New, in New York and New Jersey, when I founded it in New York City. And I have just this image in my mind when I started in my career, ecologists would go to these meetings where we would talk about wetlands. And it would be amazing if I was even invited into the room to listen in, but certainly I never had a seat at the table. I sat in the way back. And then over time, I got a seat at the table. And now in 20 years of running this company, I see that ecologists lead the charge. So back in the old days, we used to be subcontracted by engineering firms, and now it's flipped around. We lead big projects, and we have the engineers working for our firm, the ecologists. So it's very, very exciting um, because in a lot of ways, we're lucky we get to help from the inside rather than from the outside of these projects and see things come to life in the ground. The awardee's accomplishments are wide-ranging and influential. To get a sense of this, we'll hear our awardees explain the variety of groups and audiences they engage with, while also elaborating on some unique aspects of their work. This is John. I had the opportunity to, to use the information that we learned from our research programs to help inform varieties of programs, agencies, and, and citizens at the national level. I currently serve on the Environmental Protection Agency's Board of Scientific Counselors. And this is a small group of folks from academia, NGOs, state agencies, and the private sector. And what we do is we review the EPA's direction on research, what they have been working on and what they intend to work on in the future. And we can help make suggestions on which direction they should, they should go. Uh, I've hosted an international conference on wetland biogeochemistry recently, um, and I've also been engaged for many, many years with several scientific societies, including the Soil Science Society of America, the Society of Wetland Scientists, and the American Geophysical Union. And I have helped organize and chair sessions at the annual conferences and serving in another, uh, in a number of leadership positions. At the state level, I engage with our Coastal Protection and Restoration Authority folks to help both pose and then answer some very important questions that are gonna help guide our large scale coastal restoration efforts. I have worked with landowners and NGOs like the Nature Conservancy, for example, in helping conduct research that aids them to be even more effective stewards of their wetland properties. Hi, this is Jess. Groups that I work with, in terms of research, I have the opportunity to work with the most incredible undergraduate and, and graduate students. I say this often, um, mo many times I, I go to give seminars on, on research about the work that we do, but I think the, the best part of my job is interacting with these students. They, they do incredible work. I just have the opportunity now to, to share it. And so as, all of my colleagues have, have mentioned this award is a huge honor, but genuinely reflects the hard work of those that have worked with me and my lab, as well as those that have worked um, under the Center for Integrated Watershed Studies. 
So I get to work with amazing undergraduates and graduates. In terms of an organization, I've done um, work with the Amphibian Conservation Action Plan, um, an organization that has put together a plan for amphibian conservation. Specifically, I work as the co-chair of the ecotoxicology group, so understanding how we can better understand and protect amphibians from pollutants. Outside of the uh, scientific realm, our education focus is on third graders and their teachers. And we're really interested in these third graders because increasing research suggests that this is a critical age where getting kids to care about um, the outdoors is, is something that they're, 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 they're interested at this age and uh, this interest tends to stick into adulthood. So we're interested in the third graders and their, their, their teachers for our education research. Um, for my other hat as the director for the Center of Integrated Watershed Studies, we work with the local public. Um, we just designed uh, an EcoBlitz. This is a program where we've invited community members to come to our campus properties and community members will help us to collect biodiversity data using the iNaturalist app. And so this has been a really, really fun interaction, um, getting to learn more about what is in our nature preserve as well as interacting with naturalists in our area. So those are the groups that I am currently working with. Hi, this is Zach again. Um, been fortunate, you know, as many of the, um, the folks we're hearing from today being kind of nestled into the academics, um, which helps kind of, I think for me, particularly at Reed, but the staying power um, that kind of holds that. Um, if, if it was just a restoration project, um, much like my peers in the city of Portland, they um, are asked to make quick changes and then move on to the next project. And um, I think that uh, um, part of why um, I've, this, the project has been successful that I've been working on is that we have a, um, a steady flow of, of students that are generally interested in volunteering their time and, and, uh, and working uh, to assist these efforts. And, and we have the financial support, which is extremely important uh, to see these projects through. Um, I've been, uh, the, the, the canyon restoration of Reed, uh, Reed Canyon has been used as a tool for many years uh, for, for learning and training. Um, it's also been uh, kind of the uh, vector for us, a small liberal arts school, adopting the degrees of environmental science, uh, which is a kind of a big step for us. Um, and then using the canyon as a classroom without walls. Uh, work with the city, uh, Portland a bunch, and, uh, and watershed councils and show them various techniques of native plant propagation. Uh, and I've trained AmeriCorps members to um, how to build trails and support um, uh, urban green spaces. Um, work with uh, a lot of my time, as I mentioned before, is working with the um, local schools. Uh, particularly, we have a classification in Oregon of Title I schools, um, which identifies um, and kind of we seek uh, partnerships with schools that have just generally less resources. Um, and I'm able to work with their teachers and directly with the students um, to try to take, um, utilize the canyon and then also how to scaled down some of this research so that they can implement some of that in their classrooms. Um, we're near bus routes, which makes that uh, very accessible for a lot of students because uh, we've also have seen that 
Um, just organizing buses and students is, is challenging for a lot of our school districts here. Um, we're basically, we're in a uh, area where I get to host um, kind of local and regional um, workshops and, and try to figure out how we can um, use this as a learning um, space so that other areas of Oregon um, can implement strategies based on our, our failures and successes. And uh, I'm currently in a role of leading the grounds and maintenance departments at each college. So I'm able to uh, incorporate my um, kind of the sustainable eye and my plant science and, and my relation to the freshwater system that we have on campus uh, into all of the mechanics and functions of our college. And I'm really proud of that. I believe it's important to educate people about wetlands. I have focused on vernal pool wetlands, as I know most people are unaware of their existence and importance. I work with the Ohio Vernal Pool Network to hold gatherings where the ecology of vernal pools is explained and displayed in educational PowerPoints. It is then also witnessed by the, att by the attendees when they join us for a hike around and into a local vernal pool. This is an exciting way to introduce people to vernal pools, and in most years, we're able to show them live adult salamanders and frogs. We can also give them glimpses of salamander and frog egg masses. There is no replacement for showing attendees in person salamander and frogs that are seasonal residents of, these lo of the local vernal pool. They remember their visit and what they saw. Adults and children will recall, recall these images for the rest of their lives and going forward will be vernal pool protectors. I am appreciative and proud to have been involved in wetland and vernal pool education and protection. This is Mark Laska. I'm extremely honored and fortunate to have been in a position to bring higher ecological thinking to many Fortune 100 companies in various industries, ranging from oil and gas, chemical manufacturing, mining, real estate development, and government entities. But we have found ourselves being able to speak with senior leadership within companies around environmental issues and demonstrating how we can integrate an ecological approach that both addresses environmental problems that companies faces, and also provides opportunity for restoration and conservation of habitats. You know, one of the big buzzwords today is ESG, environmental sustainable governance, and how now companies get ranked by ESG metrics that can affect shareholder value and stock prices. And there are things like sustainability officers in most major companies now. When I started Great Ecology, that word didn't exist. That phrase didn't exist. But the notion and the idea behind trying to hold companies accountable to environmental standards that looked beyond just their business interests became a big, big component of our practice. And some of the, the justification why we've been able to successfully plan and implement so many projects for different companies as well.
We, like my many colleagues, also are very active in associations and organizations. I just came back from the Mitigation Banking Annual Conference this week in early May of 2022 in Boise, Idaho. I'm a member of the Ecological Restoration Business Association, Society of Ecological Restoration. I've been active in the Surplus Property Roundtable, and I present at major conferences that are attended by corporations, lawyers, regulators, academics, practitioners, and many others. I regularly speak at conferences, and I participate in, with my colleagues in any way I can. The Environmental Law Institute, uh, the sponsor of this award, for instance, just published a major uh, document about mitigation banking in wetlands and uh, natural resource damage, and I was a peer reviewer for Eli. I've worked on both sides of the table, and that means I often go to public meetings and we talk about the work that we do in front of uh, very, very uh, different settings. And just like Dr. Jess, wow, we are very, very focused on bringing complicated scientific ideas to the public using graphics and other you know, sim simpler ways to explain these complicated ideas. And we think we're pretty good at doing that. And uh, as, as a result of that, have gotten a fantastic opportunity to speak in many, many situations. Due to ongoing issues of environmental injustice and racism, many communities of color and low-income communities experience disproportionate impacts during and following natural disasters. Wetlands provide crucial ecosystem services, such as flood protection and reducing shoreline erosion, that can help address environmental and public health issues faced by these communities. With this in mind, we'll hear from our awardees on the importance of engaging these communities in wetlands protection efforts, as well as other environmental justice implications of their work. This is John White. I created almost a decade ago a service learning class at Louisiana State University where I bring the college students to a local under-resourced high school to engage with those high school students. The majority of these students are soon to be first-generation college students, and the majority are from underrepresented groups in the STEM fields. We have the opportunity to engage with these students on what college is like and how to successfully navigate the landscape. As first-generation college students or first-generation college students-to-be, they might not have the opportunity to get some of the answers to those simple questions on how they're to succeed at the next level. Our college students will actually talk about their own challenges, their successes and their failures, and how they would overcome them so that the high school students can then learn from their experience. And they also will recognize that nobody has all the right answers. We also discuss many job opportunities that they may not be aware of. Uh, the college students I have are from landscape architecture, environmental engineering, renewable and natural resources, as well as our own coast of the environment. And they talk about the exciting research that they're conducting and they outline the really vast array of jobs that exist out there that maybe not a lot of people know about. We create fun, hands-on um, learning exercises for them to engage with, and they help underscore the importance of all of the many functions and values of our wetland systems. And hopefully we are just inspiring more folks who may not be aware of the opportunities that exist 
um, to pursue education and employment opportunities in the wetland research and protection environmental fields. Hi, this is Jess. As a this is a this is a really personal question or a really uh, important question to me um, as a person of color from a refugee background. This is a topic that is really fundamental to me, given my own path to getting where I am today to my research group. And it really is, it forms a strong undertone to a lot of the work that we do in my lab. Um, we hope to address this, this challenge uh, and we try to address this challenge in three ways. So first, in the short term, we hope to begin working to level the playing field through education, using our non-traditional content, our community engagement work, and our community science initiatives. Second, through our ecotoxicological research, we hope that our work will directly help to inform policy that will protect these communities. And then lastly, from a more longer term perspective, we in, in our lab are committed to training undergrads, masters and PhD students, and we have students from a diversity of academic disciplines and, and backgrounds. And this is really important to us because when these students inevitably go on to be successful in, in pursuing their different fields, they will then have the backgrounds and tools that we think are necessary to contribute to making these systematic changes that are necessary to address these environmental justice issues. So again, this is something that is really important to me and, and members of my lab, and we really try to address this problem from the different aspects, from the short-term goals to the long-term goals. Hi, this is Zach again. Yeah, this is this is um, kind of a question that you know again is very dear to me. It's you know we've got um, in the city of Portland and Oregon itself is not a very diverse community, um, but I'm fortunate to be at a school that um, is is uh, re represents pretty much every country uh, around the globe, and uh, we I've had the opportunities to hire and train over 500 students through these last 20 years. Uh, and give them the opportunities uh, to be hands-on uh, and, and connect with uh, the, the water and the resources that surround them. Um, Reed has given me the opportunity to kind of engage um, students in kind of two different ways, one directly through supervision and training. Um, the other one would be working um, uh, in conjunction with our bio outreach program where uh, I mentioned earlier where we go into schools um, in the Portland metro area that generally are, um, you know, have less resources than um, some of the, the other schools that are on the other side of the town um, and really bring science into the classroom uh, and make it accessible. Um, and what, what we do is we try to inspire uh, these young minds to think about the resources that they have around them, um, figure out ways to improve that resources and really become champions even in their own communities at their own um, uh, with their families to kind of uh, carry this message through even if it's about how we manage rainwater um, or what we do with our um, you know our resources when we're done with them how we recycle them we have the cleanest water in the city of Portland bubbling up on our campus and it's very easy to see the impacts of pollution um, disturbance and neglect 
uh, right here in front of you and, and to uh, get more and more students uh, of every age uh, into this space, uh, the more people uh, I hope that it inspires to be connected to their waterways and, and become champions in their own environment. The thing that I have noticed um, in my work is that uh, the urban wetlands uh, are largely non-existent or, they're, or they're, they've made it, but they're of the lowest quality. Um, and so um, I'm, I really think there needs to be a um, a protection given to urban wetlands that is uh, different than the other wetlands because they are so important for all the um, functions that they provide to the to the urban setting. This is Mark Laska. I love the answers I've heard on this podcast. Our work was. EJ focused long before EJ was a phrase everyone was using. My practice started in urban settings in New York and New Jersey, and we designed and restored dozens of wetlands in public spaces. We've done over 50 parks, and that involves improving community access and degraded areas, often in and around systemically marginalized communities offering water quality improvements, access to habitat, bringing people down to the water, bringing shoreline protection, and introducing natural systems to urban settings. We've worked, as I mentioned, on some large uh, environmental disaster projects. We were involved with uh, natural resource damage in over 20 different cases around the country. And those components of natural resource damage connect with EJ because the premise behind the damage to a natural system is making the public whole following some kind of ecological impact, often involving a wetland. And that usually involves massive public involvement, restoration, and placing projects in areas where disadvantaged communities have access to the same amenities as, uh, as, as other communities might. We've, we have specific projects such as a salt marsh restoration at Randall's Island. We developed the Woodbridge Waterfront Park in New Jersey. It was the first time people in New Jersey would get access to the Raritan River. The Brooklyn Bridge Park in New York City, the Trinity River Project in Dallas, many projects in San Diego and in other urban settings. And those projects really, really have made the public aware and sort of even the playing field in many, many ways. But as we've heard from my co-awardees, there's still a lot of work ahead of us. And it's exciting that we have awareness of environmental justice at both the regulatory level, federal level, many, many state awareness, and at the corporate level where projects are paid for using different dollars than tax dollars. It's an exciting time. We'd like to thank the awardees for their inspiring and insightful responses. 
as wetlands play an increasingly important role in environmental justice work and climate change mitigation and adaptation efforts, we're confident these awardees will continue to be leaders in the field. The National Wetlands Award Program is administered by the Environmental Law Institute and supported by the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, and the Natural Resources Conservation Service. The Committee of Wetlands Experts representing federal and state agencies, academia, conservation groups, and private sector organizations selects our award winners every year. Thank you very much for listening and congratulations again to our 2022 awardees. Again, for more information, you can visit our website at www.eli.org slash National Wetlands Awards. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to People, Places, Planet Pod, brought to you by the Environmental Law Institute. We would like to hear from you. So please send us your questions, comments, and ideas to podcast at ELI.org. And if you're interested in learning more about our work, attending one of our events, reading our publications, or becoming a member, please visit our website at www.eli.org.